gather uh, as a church, the local body here, uh, to worship our risen Savior as we do each and every week. What a glorious opportunity we have as Christians to acknowledge that, that He is our King, He is our Lord, and He is our Savior. This morning, if you turn in your Bibles with me to uh, the book of Revelation, and I'll be reading from um, chapter 8, verse 6, all the way through chapter 9. And uh, as you as you turn in your Bibles there, I want to make one announcement. The uh, blessing event that was supposed to be held uh, this past Saturday will be held next Saturday. Um, you can bring your uh, stuff that you want to to bless other folks with. You bring usable items uh, here on Friday night from 4 to 6 or early Saturday morning before it starts. And uh, you will uh, then have the opportunity to come. And if you see something you like, you, you, uh, you can take it. And if somebody sees something that you want, uh, uh, want to give away, then you can give that away as, as well. We don't want to treat this like a secret Santa. Don't get mad. Somebody grabs your stuff. Please uh, be very Christ-like uh, when it comes to that activity. I know how some of us can be very competitive. Um, so this morning, as um, we look at this passage, uh, when the men gathered in my office this morning at 7 to pray, um, one of the, 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 we were in Psalm 144. And the psalmist uh, there declares that man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Think, think, again, I want to repeat that. Man, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. As you, as you gather here, and no matter what age you are, and I know the younger you are, you think the time just creeps by. And the older we are, it seems to go by at 80, 120 miles an hour. And yet, that's all of life. Man, God tells us that our time here is short, whether He gives us a day or He gives us 90 to 100 years. There will be an end to that time. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing with the time that God has given to us? What, what are you, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you have made Him Lord and Savior of your life, and I'm speaking to, to uh, my brothers and sisters in the faith now, what does your life look like when you look back on it up to this point, and can you say that you have been faithful to what God has done? Now, obviously all of us will fall short of that, but is there consistency in your, in your walk and in your life? Why is this important, Pastor? Why are you bringing this up at the beginning before we even begin reading uh, this, the, the passage today? Well, because of what I'm going to read about today is what's going to transpire after the rapture of the church. And who is going to be left behind are all those who do not know Christ as Savior when the rapture occurs. And these men and women and young people who do not know Christ as Savior will live through this time. God has put you here on this earth at this time to spread the good news of the gospel. Every man and woman who belongs to Christ is not given the option. We are commanded, we are given that uh, satchel of the king's message as his ambassadors, and we need to be faithful giving that message out. Because we're going to look at what's the result of people's disobedience to God. So, if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word here, if you are able. Revelation chapter 8, starting in verse 6. 
And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea, those which had life, had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed, and the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a th- on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters, and the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened. And the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. And then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Then a fifth angel sounded, and then I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the pit of the abyss was given to him. And he opened the pit of the abyss, and smoke went out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like a torment of the scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will never find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on the head appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months." They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abdanon. In the Greek, he, he has the name Apollon. One woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. And then the sixth angel sounded. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had a trumpet, Release the four angels who have been bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were released who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year so that they would kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million and heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sit on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire and of hyeth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions and out of their mouths come fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these plagues, these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor talk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their sexual immorality, nor of their thefts. And Father God, 
Oh, we thank you for the reading and proclamation of your word this morning. Lord, these words that were penned some 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the vision, Father, that you had given to John so that we and the future generations of believers can be warned of what is to come for this lost and dying world. I pray, Father, this morning that this would not bring woe unto your, to believers' hearts, but, to, to, Father, to remind them of the hope that we have in Christ, that we will not partake in this suffering. But yet, Father, let us be cautious to know that there are ones that we love and care about that you've placed in our life that do not know your Son as Lord and Savior. May, Father, we use the encouragement of these words to give us boldness when we proclaim the gospel. And, Father, if there's one here who does not know you as Lord and Savior today, I, I, I pray, Father, by this mere man speaking your truth today, that you would cause a modern-day miracle to occur where a heart of stone turns into a heart of flesh. We ask this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your patience as we read that huge hunk of Scripture. Your pastor enjoys that uh, about as much as I do preaching God's Word, is just to be able and to, to proclaim His truth. Last week we saw the seventh sealed open in which holds the seven trumpets and seven bowls. Remember that? Who was worthy to open up the seal? The lamb who was slain was worthy to open up the seal. And he's the one that gets honor and glory and praise. And so as the lamb opened up the seal and we went through the sixth seal into the seventh seal, the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. And we were going to be diving into the seven trumpets today. And um, the trumpet judgments, there's, there's, when you think of these things, you can't help it as you read this, think about the world as we know it today. And, and uh, if, if you haven't had your head in the sand or lived under a rock, you know that, that there are many that are pushing this environmental movement uh, upon all of us uh, to the extent that it becomes almost an act of religious worship. They refer to uh, this planet as Mother Earth. This, this planet is not Mother Earth. It was created by God as he created the heavens and the stars. And he created this earth. Guess what he created it for? For you and I. That's what he created for, for his glory and for you and I originally to have dominion over it. And that's when he placed uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. And remember, every living creature, he gave man dominion over. We are not the same as animals. No matter what some people would try to say, there's no difference between a dog and a human being. Now, we don't treat animals with, with unkindness or cruelty. They're creation of God. And we look after them. But they are not men. They don't have souls. They don't stand in judgment before a holy God. And yet, not only do animals uh, start to reign on equal playing field as men, but now you've got people declaring that there should be uh, uh, the extermination of the human race so that the Mother Earth can prosper without us de defiling it. I mean, you think about the lunacy of that statement. There are actually people who, who believe that we ought to just phase ourselves out. Nobody should have more than one child. Phase yourself out. It goes in direct contacts uh, uh, with what Scripture tells us to do. You know, as, as, uh, even when we used to hear the word global warming, back in the 70s, I can remember reading a book when I was in high school. Uh, yeah, they had books back then. And um, not scrolls. 
and I and I and I'm reading this book, and it was talking about in the next ten years before 1980 that we would all be in another ice age. I, I remember like it was yesterday, and I, I was scared to death. Uh, it's going to get cold, and and we're all this problem. And then of course now we fast forward, and now we have global warming. Well, global warming doesn't fit their agenda because we're not stupid. We look and you see uh, the most snow that California's had in forever. You see cold weather all over the place. The the prediction of the Arctic's melting and doing all that stuff isn't doing what they said it should do. So now it's called climate change. And it's because of what man is doing is causing this fluctuation of temperatures all over the place. And, of course, we have more hurricanes than we've ever had in the creation of man because of America and, uh, and what we're doing, according to some. Representative Alexandria Cortez, uh, she is a, a Democrat from New York City who represents her constituents. And she said the following. Millennials and people, you know, Gen Z and all these folks that will come after us are looking up and we're like, the world's going to end in 12 years. If we don't address climate change and your biggest issue is how we're going to pay for it, this is the war. This is World War II for us. Well, what are you going to do with people who are screaming that the world is going to end? Well, I'll tell you what we do as Christians. We say, we read the book. And the book tells me it's not going to end until God says it's going to end. I love what John MacArthur said in one sermon. Some people say he doesn't have a sense of humor. I'll never forget when he was preaching on this very subject about uh, this. And, and he said, he was talking about global warming. And he said, these people ain't seen nothing yet. And when it finally does happen and when it does come, he said, burn all the fuel you want to. Run all the electricity you want to. Burn all the oil you want to because God has given us enough to run the planet until he says it's not enough. We're not going to run out, folks. Now, that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we don't take care of our environment. Please hear my heart with that. Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't. I, the one thing that is a pet peeve of mine was when I see somebody litter. It just drives me nuts, especially Christians. We should, of all people, should, should, uh, appreciate it and honor what God has given us and take care of the environment that he has given to us. But we don't worship it. We don't worship it. The powerful judgments of the future time of tribulation will utterly devastate this earth, causing wholesale, unimaginable destruction of the environment. Let's look with me at the first trumpet. And the first sounded... And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Revelation 8, 7. One third of the world's trees are burned up at this point in this plague. And all the grass is consumed. This judgment bears some similarities to the seventh plague that occurred in Egypt when Moses was rendering God's judgment on Pharaoh and the people of Egypt for not letting his people go. The specific case of the hail and fire thrown to the earth is not revealed. But from a scientific standpoint, an earthquake of the magnitude that we read about in chapter 8 verse 5 last week, would likely trigger worldwide volcanic eruptions. Besides ejecting this vast quantities of flaming lava, um, which could be, you know, if anybody's ever seen those images, 
um, one of our members is, is from Hawaii, and I was talking to her. I was looking at her in the first sermon, and she was just nodding her head and grinning as I was talking about those lava flows when you see them. And she said they're mesmerizing. You look at them, and you're looking at the as it cools, and you see the black, and then you see the red underneath of it as it flows. It's almost blood-like in appearance. And, and as you see this happening, and th- these, th- this will obviously trigger this, these tornado, I mean, excuse me, these volcanic eruptions, these earthquakes will uh, also result in worldwide thunderstorms that, that are going to produce large hail. And such thunderstorms would be in keeping with the imagery again of uh, chapter 8, verse 5 here in Revelation. After the angel hur- hurled his censer to earth, there followed pearls of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning. So it's going to be devastating what's going on here. Nothing the world has ever seen before or since is occurring. And so the effects of such catastrophic fires would be widespread and devastating, including destruction of crops, uh, the death of animals on a massive scale. When my son Jesse got married out in California in Monterey, and we, we, we flew out there, and it had, they had all these fires that had occurred. And the, all these hillsides were just black. And um, they had all these big signs out uh, on, on uh, sheets where they were thanking the local firemen for saving their homes. And it just devastation was everywhere. And could you imagine this occurring all over the world at the same time? All of these ungodly people will be subject to God's wrath during this time. And, and also those that are affected will also be when it comes to what's going on on the earth as far as these natural catastrophes that are occurring caused by God is this affects the believer as well. Remember, there are Christians that are alive during this time who've come to saving faith because of the witness of the, of the 144,000 or the two witnesses or other Christians that, that, have, that have come to saving faith. They're going to be giving testimony, and God will still be saving people during this time. And as these people come to saving faith, they're going to experience the same thing. But the thing they have and they know is that no matter what happens to their body physically, they will be with God forever. You see, Christian, that's what gives us hope. And it should give us hope every day. How do we get up out of bed every day when things aren't going our way? When we are dealing with emotional struggles or we're dealing with physical complications from, from uh, serious uh, diseases, how do we get up out of bed every day? Well, we get up out of bed every day because God has given us that day. He's given us breath that day. And since he hasn't taken us home yet, he has a purpose for you. Christian, you are dear to God. Never forget that. You were created in the image, both male and female. We were created in his image and we're created. And when we were saved and we came to saving faith, we came to saving faith for the glory of God. And because of that glory for God, we who are his creations, we who are his children, we who are the redeemed should act like the redeemed and we should live like the redeemed. And we should when other people despair, we should bring the hope. The hope that is in Christ and Him alone. Everything else is fleeting. What I say in the beginning, man's life is but a shadow. It's but a shadow. And one day, all of us will be gone from here. Every last one in here, a hundred years from now, the the smallest baby in, in our church today, more than likely will not be here if the Lord tarries. And then the next generation will rise up. And the next generation, the next generation, they will forget about us. But one of the things that is important to remember is the legacy that you leave in Christ 
And the same legacy that brought you to saving faith, that, that, that generation, the next generation, the next generation the Lord tarries, they may not know your name, but you led somebody to saving faith that led that person to saving faith that led that person to saving faith, and you could trace that all the way back to the apostles. We don't know, I don't know the name of the person who shared the gospel with the man who brought me to saving faith through the sovereignty of God. And I certainly don't know the person that shared faith with him. But I tell you what, we can trace it all the way back to that first day of Pentecost. And so what I'm asking you today, Christian, is what are you doing for the cause of Christ and the legacy that he has called you to leave? And as we look back at these, these judgments on, on, on this earth, There'll be destruction of crops, the death of animals, and massive scale. It reminds me when you go back to Romans 125, this is fitting judgment. Because in Romans 125, it tells us they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Environmentalists worship Mother Earth. They worship the earth. They worship the creation instead of the creator. And we are called to worship him. But even in Romans 1, we think about the, the perversion that has occurred in, before our very eyes in this country. What once was considered perversion is now accepted. And what has been accepted is now celebrated. And what is now celebrated, if you don't go along with it, you are accused of being a bigot or speaking hate. You see how it's come that full circle. It used to, what used to be perversion is now not only accepted, but if you don't accept it, there's something wrong with you. Not the sin anymore. But you know, there is hope out there, folks. I was reading in a, in a, uh, in a news report this, this morning. and the earlier service, I said it was going to happen this tonight, but I think it's going to happen next Saturday. The San Jose Sharks, uh, uh, NHL team, is going to have an LGBTQ plus celebration night. And they're going to be handing out all kinds of material to, to encourage people to, to express themselves as transgender, homosexual, lesbian, or whatever the case may be. Flaunt uh, their sin and, and try to get you, if you're, imagine, imagine you're a San Jose Sharks fan and you don't know they're going to have this and you fly out to the West Coast because you want to see them skate and, and you arrive there and you walk in and you walk in with your family and they hand your eight-year-old a bunch of LGBTQ plus material. Well, James Reamer, he's the goalie for the San Jose Sharks. And this is what he said. Quote, For all 13 years of my NHL career, I have been a Christian. Not just in title, but in how I choose to live my life daily. I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and in response asked me to love everyone and follow him. He, wrote, he put this on Twitter. He continues, I have no hate in my heart for anyone and I have always strived to treat everyone that I encounter with respect and kindness. In a specific instance, I am choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. Amen? There are, there are men and women willing to take a stand, even though it will cost them. And to the credit of the San Jose front office, they said, well, that's his, his personal opinion and his religious, religious belief, so we're not going to make him wear our LGBTQ warm-up gear. 
But here's a man who's making a stand. And I love, he has, he has, he has put 1 Corinthians 13 and Romans 12 in his statement. Exactly what he did. He's going to love a lost and dying world. He's going to share the love of Christ. Will not tolerate their sin. Not accept their sin. Not say it's okay. He's going to love them, but he's standing firm on his convictions. And that's what we are to do, Christian. See, the problem is, too many times, we look at the perversion, what God calls it, the abomination, what God calls it, and we get so self-righteous that we look down on them instead of realizing that they're just a lost sinner just like you and I were. Don't you just love how Paul reminds us of that? That God does not allow homosexuals, adulterers, fornicators, liars, gossipers, drunkards into the kingdom of heaven. But such were you, right? Such were us, all of us, were one of those things, if not all of those things in our own hearts. And yet God in his grace and his mercy gave us the faith to believe. This brings us to the second trumpet. In heaven, a second angel sounds a trumpet. The result that that uh, is something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, Revelation 8.8. 8. And then in 9, we're told a third of the sea turns to blood, a third of the sh- ships sink, and a third of the ocean life dies here. This judgment is similar to, in some ways to the first plague in Egypt. Remember when they turned the waters of the Nile and the waters of Egypt into blood. The judgment of the first trumpet was upon the land, and the second trumpet is on the sea. The massive object plummaging through the sky looked to be terrified to the terrified observers on earth like a giant great mountain burning with fire. It's a meteorite. It's coming into the earth. How many times have you been told, or you might have even fretted about this yourself, you'll, you'll read something and go, there's a meteorite, meteor hidden straight for earth. And they'll tell you that, well, it's going to be here in 10,000 years. Or they'll say something like, well, we've got a, we, we, had a, we had a close strike. There was a, uh, we had a close call. There was a meteor that was two trillion miles away from hitting earth. And yet one day, God will allow one of these meteors to hit the oceans. Everyone will see it, either live or on social media. It will hit, striking somewhere in the world's oceans with an explosive power far greater than any bomb that man could ever make. This devastation from that hit was uh, spread across one-third of the ocean waters, causing a third of the sea to become blood. The impact will also generate unimaginable, unimaginable huge tsunamis. How many of you remember back when the tsunamis hit the Far East and Japan and in Indonesia? And the first time you saw those footages of that stuff, I mean, I just my mouth dropped open. You're watching these people just standing on the beach, and, you're, and you're, your heart is sinking for them because you know what's getting ready to happen. Because you already know the devastation has occurred. And, and all of a sudden you see the water just rescind. Almost as far as that house is from the church. You see it go out. And people just stand there wondering what's going on. And then moments later the tsunami comes. And, and it, it just killing tens of thousands of people. And just running through the streets. And covering everything up. Could you imagine what it's going to be like when a meteorite hits? The devastation that will occur to mankind when this happens. These giant waves will destroy a third of the ships on the ocean's world's oceans, capsizing huge ocean-going vessels and completely swamping ports from these waves. And this resulting disruption of commerce and transportation will cause economic chaos. 
I mean, think about it when, when you first, uh, during the pandemic, and remember when you first went to the grocery store and you weren't worried about it, you're thinking, okay, we'll have plenty of stuff, and you go and there was nothing on the shelf. You're like, holy smoke. And that's when your pastor stocked up on toilet paper and paper towels, and I just ran out. So, um, but, but, but you can think about what it's going to be like then when all of this is going on at the same time. Folks, it's just going to be a disaster. Then we see the third trumpet. And be, but, but let me remind you of this. So the first two trumpets will bring a devastating judgment on both land and the sea, which are beginning of the final judgment by God upon this world, this sinful world. How many times have you heard, how long, God, will you wait? You might have said it yourself. How far can we go down this, this depravity God, you know, I remember reading Romans 1 as a new believer back in the 80s and thinking, "Eh, it's the big deal. And now I read Romans 1 and I see everything that he says was going to happen is happening. I turned them over to a debased mind, a debased mind. The world is getting ready to receive the wrath of God. You see, we live in a time of grace now. I've shared with you from this pulpit in the past weeks that this is the time of grace. This is the time of God's mercy. This is a foreshadow of what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. God didn't hide this so that we would be ignorant. He tells us this and shares this with us so that we would have the joy of our salvation knowing that we're going to escape this, but also with fear and trembling that there's going to be many that aren't going to escape this. And you've got that message, Christian. Are you keeping it to yourself? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have gone to a neighbor over a fence at the mailbox walking with somebody and started talking with them? How many of you have not shared the gospel with those neighbors that may live right next door to you or across the street? But let me ask you this question. If you were rolling home, you were out late, Pastor Mark preached a sermon, went till midnight, and you're coming home, and your neighbor's house is on fire. Fire coming through the roof. And you see all the cars in the driveway, and you know that there's three or four kids inside. Are you just going to go back home and call 911 and say, hey, my neighbor's house on fire. Why don't you send somebody who's qualified to go wake them up or I know exactly what you're going to do you're going to pull up in that driveway you're going to run to the front door you're going to scream as loud as you're going to scream you're going to honk your horn you're going to beg them to get out of the house the house is on fire you are you are in mortal danger of dying you you might even rush in to save them but folks you've got neighbors that are dying and going to hell living right next to you if they were to die today and you haven't even shared that good news with them. Shame on us. Shame on your pastor. The third trumpet, chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, the third trumpet judgment is like the second except it affects the world's freshwater lakes and rivers instead of the oceans. God's not sparing anything. Specifically, a great star blazing like a torch falls from the sky and poisons a third of the water supply, we're told in 
verse 10. And the star is given the name Wormwood, and many people die, verse 11. In botany, a wormwood is, is a shrub-like plant noted for its extreme bitterness and poisonous properties. So this is poison. Whatever the poison represented by the name wormwood is, it's lethal since a third of the fresh waters become poisonous like wormwood. The repeated pattern of one-third destruction, one-third of the earth and the trees burned up. In verse 7, and one-third of the sea turned to blood. Verse 8, one-third of the sea creatures killed, and one-third of the ships destroyed. Verse 9, what does this do? It demonstrates clearly that there are not, these aren't random natural events, but divine judgments by God with a specific number and a specific outcome. This isn't by chance. God is in complete control of all this. You see, this doesn't fit in to the modern progressive false Christianity that's proclaimed today that God is nothing but love and he loves everybody and and you can do whatever you want because if he's made you that way you do whatever you want God won't hate you if you don't if you don't you know it's all just just say a prayer say that you believe in Je- matter of fact and some of these progressives don't even believe you have to believe in Jesus I don't even know why they call themselves Christians at all we don't call themselves Christian we don't call them Christians but yet God is in complete control of all of this and he's causing this death and he's causing this destruction you see the same God that raised Jesus from the dead the same God Jesus Christ the son who lived on this earth and didn't raise a hand in his own defense the one who was always there and healing people and showing mercy and grace and preaching repentance. The one who never raised his hand in, in self-righteous anger, but only in God, godly anger when he chased out those in the temple. We see Jesus as his loving, compassionate, merciful, but he's still part of the Trinity. And the God of the Old Testament, you remember what he did? Do you remember what he did for the people who rebelled? His own people that rebelled against him. He, he, he always is always keeping a remnant, but he divides his people from those of the world. He doesn't tolerate sin. Yes, God is a God of love and mercy, but he's also a God of wrath and judgment and justice. And he cannot and will not allow sin in his presence. That's the whole reason we have to have a savior that's the whole reason we need jesus why why do we gather week after week why do we open up our books and read the bible why do we spend time in discipleship why do we spend time memorizing scripture why do we spend time sharing the gospel with others we do all that because god in his mercy and grace has saved us from death and hell And so we have this message of grace that we want to share with others because God is telling a lost and dying world, that person who who spews hatred at you for speaking of Christ, who who can't stand the sight of you because you you say sin is sin and, and, and all they want to think is that you're judging them when that's the last thing in the world you're doing. What you're trying to share with them is that you were a sinner just like they were and by God's grace, he saved you. And you share the love of Jesus, how he came to this earth. He was fully man and fully God, and he never sinned. And he went to that cross, and he suffered and died on that cross to satisfy God's wrath 
against man. God's wrath, God's anger against man for their sin, for your sin, for my sin. Personalize it. God died for Mark on that cross. He died for Kathy on that cross. He died for you. If you're his child, he died for you. And dear one, he died for you today, and all you have to do is cry out to him. The Bible says, God desires that none are lost. Reach out to him. Understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You can't do it yourself. You can't earn your way to heaven, no matter how good you think you are. The result of rejecting Christ, if you're alive during this time, is you will be firsthand witness to this. Firsthand witness. No human deaths were mentioned with the first two trumpet judgments. Oh, they undoubtedly will take severe toll on human lives. But with the third trumpet judgment, John records that many people died from the waters because they were made bitter. They will die of drinking poison. The river will run with deadly poison. The wells will become springs of death. The lakes and reservoirs will be filled with toxic waters. You will not be able to find water to drink. Oh, people will have some that are, that are already in containers maybe that won't be affected. But where all that water comes from, remember, we're getting towards the end. We're getting towards the end of the seven years of tribulation. People will be able to survive for a time the destruction of food supplies caused by the first two trumpets. They will survive by living off stored supplies. You can imagine what's going to happen, the violence that's going to occur between men when this, when this happens. The devastation caused by the first three trumpet judgments will leave the earth's inhabitants in a state of shock and fear, and yet they don't turn to God. The fourth trumpet, verses 12 through 13 in chapter 8. As the fourth angel sounded, the focus of divine judgment shifted from the earth to the heavens. Still reeling from the effects of the first three ecological judgments, people will be desperately seeking answers to the crisis. What the world is going on? In the midst of all this frenzied activity comes a new disaster in the sky as a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten, Scripture tells us. The heavenly bodies are hit with a plague from God so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. You see, this partial eclipse is reminiscent of the ninth Egyptian plague. Again, God showing his power and his justice but this is temporary as god will later increase the amount of heat coming from the sun at this point however the loss of heat from the sun will cause temperatures to plunge drastically all over the world this will severely disrupt the earth's weather weather patterns and and the sea's tides leading to violent even more violent storms and tides the destruction of the crops that may be remaining and further loss of animal and human lives will be occurring. Boom, boom, boom. As John looked, he, he heard an eagle flying in the mid-heavens saying with a loud voice, you're there. And all of a sudden, John hears this, sees this eagle and he hears a voice. You've seen all of this going on and John has witnessed this vision he shares with us. And now, woe, woe, woe. Like there hadn't been enough woes? Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. He's warning, he's warning these people that there's, you think this is bad? Warning, warning, warning. It doesn't get any better. The eagle's dire warning is the last three jud- 
uh, trumpet judgments will even be more devastating than the first four. It's hard to believe, but there's going to be worse destruction comes from these next three. In scriptural, double woes are used for emphasis. The eagle's triple pronouncement of woe, woe, woe introduces one threat for each of the remaining three trumpets about to sound in chapter 9 of Revelation. Woe is used throughout scripture as an expression of judgment and destruction and condemnation. Don't miss that. Woe, woe, woe. Here comes judgment. Here comes destruction. Here comes condemnation. God's wrath and judgment will come upon those who dwell on the earth. Although they were, will acknowledge that, that the disasters they have experienced have come from God. How do we know that? Back in chapter 6, verse 15 through 17, they still do not repent. Man's heart is hardened. Man on his own will always choose evil. There's nothing in us that desires. There's nothing good in us. What did Paul say to the Romans? No one desires to come to Christ. Not one of us. Not one of us does good. There's nothing in us. It's through God's Holy Spirit that gives us the faith to believe. As He calls His elect to Himself, He gives us the faith to believe that we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord. We believe it in our hearts that He was raised from the dead. Let's look at the fifth trumpet. Verse 1 of chapter 9, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Here in his vision, the apostle John had already seen several heavenly bodies plunge to the earth by this time. This time it is an angelic being. That he, he, that he was said to have fallen to the earth suggests that this is a reference to Lucifer, to Satan himself, the leader of all fallen angels. The fall of Satan described in 9.1 is not his original rebellion. This is not his original rebellion. Why? We know that, that, that Satan has access to the throne of God now during this time. He is always constantly accusing God's elect. He's bringing charge against us all the time. Remember the story of Job? There's, there's Satan up there, and he's just saying, uh, God's saying, look at, look at my people. And he, and, he, and he goes, well, what do you expect from Job? You've given him everything. He's got his health. He's got wealth. He's got a lot of kids. He's just, he's fine. And God, Satan didn't play God. Don't think that he played God at all. Satan fall right into God's hands. And then what did God allow Satan to do, eventually take everything away from him except his life. You see, we have an adversary, and he is Satan, and he hates God's people. He hates us. During the tribulation, he and his demon hosts will success, unsuccessfully battle Michael and the holy angels. As a result of their defeat, they will be permanently cast down to the earth. This is when, in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, describes this battle scene. Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, describes it. And, and once they are kicked out of heaven, they don't have access anymore 
at all. Satan does not. Satan is now restricted to the earth and his time is running out. Satan will seek at this point to marshal all his dynamic, uh, uh, demonic hosts that he's in control of, those already on the earth, those cast to the earth with him, and those incarcerated already in a bottomless pit. Not in hell, but in a pit, in a, a holding place. Scripture teaches that God has sovereignly chosen to incarcerate certain demons in the pit of punishment. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says this, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Who were the 